Welcome to Solo BG, your podcast for solo and cooperative board games. Here you will find everything you need to know about your favorite and most recent games. Art, rules, gameplays and interviews. Here is your host, Derek Rodriguez. Hi, welcome to Solo BG. My name is Derek and we are here for another episode. Tonight we have a very special guest and we're going to talk about a, one of my favorite games that I was looking forward. I was excited to record an episode about it. I have a blast playing it solo. I have a blast playing it cooperative, uh, you know, with two or three or four players. And it's a magnificent game if you like those survivors theme, like zombies and monsters and sci-fi and dinosaurs and all that crazy thing that you can imagine. Um, so I'm here with my friend Mike Ganate from Rock Manor Games. And tonight we're going to talk, among other things, for uh, we're going to talk about Maximum Apocalypse, which is, you know, the big deal right now for uh, from Rock Manor Games. Mike, how are you tonight? Pretty good. Got the kids to sleep. So, uh, you know, I'm finally freed up to uh, enjoy yeah. some quiet time or some adult time, if you will. Yeah, that, that's great. Well, I, I don't know about the adult times because, you know, we never grow up. We're still playing games. We <laughs> still guys. We're still reading comics and, and watching movies. And, you know, we still have, we live yeah. in our superheroes. So that's, yeah, that's non, non parenting time. Non parenting yeah. Time. <laughs> Better say parenting time. Yes, of course. So, Mike, just for all of for, just for all the people that for some reason they don't know who you are and, you know, or they don't know about this game, which they will know now what are we talking about, what amazing game it is. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Uh, uh, I mean, I am the uh, designer behind Maximum Apocalypse, Brass Empire, and a couple other games um, from Rock Manor Games. Uh, we're a board game publisher, small and indie, uh, sort of on the East Coast of Philadelphia. Um, and I've been a gamer my whole life. So, I mean, when I was in sixth grade, you know, that's when I bought my first, uh, built my first deck of magic cards um, and, you know, painted my first Warhammer miniature. Um, and then when I got into high school, I sort of moved around and, and stopped playing board games and transitioned to video games for what? Why do you stop playing board games? Come on. I didn't. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I'm, well, I sold my Magic cards because Ice Age. Okay. I, I played Revised, and when Ice Age came out, I couldn't mow enough lawns to buy more cards to be competitive with my friends anymore. Um, so I I stopped Magic after Ice Age came out. Um, and uh. You know, you know, I moved. I moved across the country, so all the friends I played games with, you know, I had to make new friends. And uh, you know, coming out as a as a nerdy kid back then with board games wasn't exactly the strategy I took. So um, it's not that I stopped liking them; it's just I stopped playing them like every weekend in my friend's basement uh, because yeah. I moved literally across the country from the east coast to the west coast. Yeah, um, I, I I guess you will agree with me. It's it's very it's very important that you know we, we're talking about this now that we're getting to know you more. Um, it seems like the other day I was talking to one of the other game designers and 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 friends also about the the fact that when we were growing up and you know and we were being in that nerd atmosphere and you know just reading comics, playing board games, D and D, and all that stuff, or like in your case like Mag Magic the Gathering, you know, um, it feels like back in the days. It was like very, I don't know, not wrong to be like that, but I mean, obviously there was certain 
you know, separations between the cool kids, you know, from the high school and the popular one or the middle school and between those, uh, you know, I guess nerdy type. But now it seems like now, uh, you know, is the is the new hype, you know, to be like that, to like board games, to like comics. I mean, you can see it on the cinematic universe now, for example, every superhero movie. Is, yeah, I know. It's pretty much the blockbuster of the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, um, what I think so funny is my wife has brothers that are much, much younger than than she is. Um, like the, the youngest of her brothers just went off to college and the other two, like one just graduated, the other one's been out of college for four years. So there's a substantial, you know, like a decade of, you know, time difference between them. And it, it was so funny to me, you know, as I, as I got to know her brothers, when I would talk about things that I, that I liked, you know, video games, like really nerdy video games and comic books and, and these board games, they're sitting there going like, wow, you had that. That's so cool. And I'm like, man, things have changed. Like that is yeah. not the reaction you would expect from like, you know, a high school kid, um, yeah. you know, back, back when I was doing those things. So, I mean, it's good. You know, we also didn't have the internet and things like that, or the internet was young. So I think all those things, you know, moved in the right direction. Um, sure. Yeah. I do and, agree with you. Yeah, definitely. And, and like I said, like, it seems like now also like some, you know, I, I, I've been getting to know more people every day and, and people are on work or friends, and basically it's the same story, like 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 kind of like you, like you know you met people and they're like, oh, what are, what are you onto? And then you say, well, you know I play games, board games, that's my thing. And mm-hmm. and especially when you tell them like, well, I, sometimes I play solo, you know I'm be making this uh, comment in the past, like they get surprised because in their mind when you talk about games or board games is you know they basically the Monopoly, the Scrabble, and all those things that probably a lot of people we don't consider real games yeah, uh, yeah but once you start explaining them and they start to see or you invite them to your to your place and you show them your game room or just your library of games and all that stuff i mean it's it's it op- it's usually open their world too to a different thing that they didn't know just like like if it was with us as soon as we we kept growing and we start with all these things with kickstarter and more games and the libraries right. keep getting expanded right yeah i mean one of my favorite things about board games um you know so while I gave up my magic cards and gave up on some of these things, you know, I never gave up. I never gave up being a gamer, you know, and I was hardcore into video games because it was something I could do, you know, outside of middle school at my house. And it, it never seemed quite as, as nerdy or bad. Um, one of the things I love about board games so much is, you know, when I was in my 20s and 30s, you know, I could never get uh, my wife and her friends to play uh, you know, like a Halo game or, or, or some like hardcore video game, you know, um, you know, I, I could get her into like rock band and some of that stuff, but that was like about it. And one of my favorite thing about board games is they're so approachable. I mean, you can sit down with anybody and as long as they're sort of willing to listen to the rules spiel and sort of like figure it out, um, yeah. and, and give you a chance, like it, they don't need like the, the dexterity of their fingers to like be good or understand like, you know, all these basics that video games sort of require, you know, nowadays with yeah. how to aim and shoot and use two sticks and all this stuff. Um, they can just sit down and enjoy the strategy or, or the challenge that their that the game challenges their mind. And I mean, you know, we've had game nights with my wife's best friend who like loves board games and, you know, is constantly asking when, we can set up another time for her husband and her to play games with us, which is something yeah. that would have never happened with video games. You know what I mean? Or, or just can't yeah. happen. No, you're, you're right. I mean, unless you're, well, I guess there's certain games, like if you go to the basics, like Mario Party or Mario Kart or things like that. Well, yeah, but you're, you're completely right because 
I mean, you will only be able to expand onto so many players, like certain amount, and that's it. And whatever the console can hold, like on controllers speaking. And and like you said, it's, it's very true. Like, uh, you know, I mean, some people ask me like, hey, I mean, like the difference for me, like, because I, I do like video games, but the difference, like why I enjoy playing more solo board games and even gamers, they tell me like, well, you know, I pref- if I'm going to be solo, I prefer to play video games. I mean, board games for me is more like a sharing with other people and this and that, which I do agree. But in my particular case, I can tell you that just what you just said, like sometimes some video games, they require you some much of dexterity and fingers that if you don't keep playing like every day, you will lose that. And when you play a game, for example, Maximum Apocalypse, let's say that is the one that we were talking about tonight. Um, you know, you're playing, you can play it solo it will still have like a certain a certain amount of adventure, a lot of adventure, better says. You will have the scenario, you will have uh, uh, probably if you want to make right now a campaign or a story or something. But anyway, you will be ab- able to face those challenges, but are your own pace, uh, you know, trying to think what is the best, the best decision for you? Where should I go? Should I go this way? Should I go the other way? Should I get, spend this research? Should I uh, better save it? Should I use the fuel? You know, things like that. But you, you do it on your own uh your own time and you don't need to do it like like right away like on the on the game, video games for example i'm a huge batman fan and i just literally like probably uh 30 minutes ago i was still uh trying to see where i was on those uh, asylum there the the remastered version that they did for uh-huh, the arkham, arkham, the, arkham yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and you know the uh, i remember what is the, the third one name but anyway, arkham knight arkham, arkham knight. knight yeah so even those um you know that they're they're from back from i guess 2012 the first one came out i think 2013, um, or probably before, uh, they, they were simple. And even those right now, because it's, it's been so long since I, I sit down on the PlayStation and play, even those are hard. So that's why, going back to the first question that, that I commented and that some people ask me, that's why me personally prefer to do solo war games. Because uh, one of the facts, one of the most important facts is what you just mentioned, you know, like the difference on the dexterity and the, the way and the time that you can take uh, to make the decisions in the game. Yeah, I mean, you know, video games can you can set something on easy, but if you don't have the like button matching skill to like get through the fights in Batman Arkham, like you're gonna be stuck and you're gonna be playing yeah. the same thing over and over again, and you're not enjoying it at that point. You're just frustrated because you can't get to the next thing. You know, yeah. you may like the story or the puzzles, and you're stuck because your fingers aren't as fast as they're supposed to be or something. You yeah. Know? Um, and board games don't have that problem. It's just about, you know the decisions you're making, like you said, it's about yeah. challenging your mind and figuring out, you know, you can still lose, but it's, it's mm-hmm. not going to be because you didn't do something fast enough or quick enough or. Yeah. And now, now that we were talking about like, like for example, that we touched, uh, you know, Batman and everything, I would like to share with you and, and with all, with you two listener. Um, I, I don't remember if I've been telling this on the previous episodes, um, which by the way, we reached 25. So that's, that's a great thing. Uh, but anyway, uh, for me, for example, I, I'm a huge Batman guy, like comic-wise, and I also a Star Wars fan, and I I like uh, to read also a new one that I picked up from Robert Kirkman, the creator of The Walking Dead, Oblivion Song. It's a very good comic out there. It's, I believe it's there in the 15th issue. Uh, what about you, Mike? Do you have any favorite heroes or or characters from the comic universe or the? Uh, well, I mean, I was for sure sh- I was for sure a Marvel guy growing up. So oh, okay. Um... Uh, I never, the only DC comic character I ever really liked was Batman. I thought he was, you know, okay. I, I definitely thought he was the best DC 
But I mean, you know, Mike, hard... we were we were just st starting in a good friendship, and you took it like. <laughs> the I'm sorry. With, with, I just with Marvel, I, ne you know? I, I never. I think you're in, you're, you're in the minority that likes Marvel. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I mean, I've always been a Marvel guy. Um, yeah. Growing up, I would get in fights about people. I mean, the thing that really irked me about DC was just I don't like Superman. You know, he's an alien. He's not even a man. He's not approachable. Um, you know, his disguise is a joke. They just, I feel like they just were making up powers and just giving him any power that they wanted. Well, um, he has nice red underwear, so that he wears on top of his pants. And, you know, and that's like their <laughs> flagship guy. So, yeah. you know, DC just was never, and, you know, we're talking about the early 90s. So, I mean, you know, yeah. I got, I got, when I got into comics, it was like when X-Men Blue and Gold launched and like X-Men 1 was like the top selling comic book. Yeah. Um, so, um, I mean, I was a big X-Men Spider-Man guy uh, growing up. I mean, I had some image. I had some other stuff. Um, you know, one of the best, one of my favorite Christmas gifts I got uh, this past year was I got the what Marvel Unlimited, like the Marvel Unlimited subscription because, you know, I haven't, okay. been buying, I, haven't, I haven't been buying comics in a while because just they take up so much space and my kids will tear them up. That's um, true. Uh, so I would buy some of the, uh, like, compendiums. Like, I bought some of the Ms. Marvel, like, from Amazon, just, like, all the issues put together in order so I could just read the story. And then this year I was like, you know what, I'm gonna try this like app because they ran a special for like you could just pay for the year up front as like a sunk as like one cost instead of a monthly fee. And I've really been enjoying, you know, the Marvel Unlimited. And uh, uh, a friend just gave me Hel the the Hellboy comics, which you know I saw the movies and liked them. Um, but I've I've almost finished the first omnibus of Hellboy, and like I literally got it last Wednesday. Okay. Um, so I definitely still like comics. Uh, obviously our next game is based on a comic book, an indie okay. comic book called The Few and Cursed. Um, okay. So it's from a Brazilian author uh, named Felipe Cagno and uh, uh, Fabiano Neves. And uh, it's about, it's like a Western uh, supernatural world where uh, back in the like 1800s or 1700s or something like that, all the water, most of the water on planet Earth just evaporated during some supernatural event. And okay. sort of monsters became real and, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people died and the game, the game and the comic book basically takes place in the, uh, the desert of the Pacific ocean. So, you know, in the San Andreas vault, uh, fault line, that's where the, uh, like townspeople are living in like the deepness of that, that fault line, because that crevice, because that's where some water is that's where most of the people live. And, uh, you know, it, it follows sort of these supernatural monsters that this uh, mysterious redheaded curse chaser is hunting down. She doesn't have oh. a name. She's just known as the redhead because she has red hair. Yeah, I'm, I'm already I'm already hooked with this, just with the synopsis of the story that you told me. Yeah. Uh, and this, this is this is a, a game that I'm, I'm sure we will talk about during the episode. But I, I, among the only, any I mean, among with the other projects that you have. Yeah. For, uh, well, I just wanted to mention we're on we were on comics. So it was a natural transition, you know, so. Yeah. Actually, I think I think I read about that on you on your Kickstarter. Like like I was telling you before we start record, that I I I like your projects and I like to support Rogue Manor games uh, every time that they have a Kickstarter. And I believe what you just telling uh, what you just told us. I believe I read during during the Kickstarter campaign of the this uh, new uh, Maximum Apocalypse that that it was just uh, you know finished, but that you can that people can still um, get uh, those projects through uh, Crowdbox. I think it's called right. 
Yeah, like a late pledge, like a late pledge manager. Yeah. yeah, you can still late pledge for for a couple of our projects. So anyway, now that we're talking about your projects, I think it's time for us to jump into the main event of the night, which is besides, of course, having my friend Mac, Mike Ganate here on the show, talking about Maximum Apocalypse. And Mike, I don't know if you're aware, but every time that we record an episode about a game, we do it in different sections, and we, you amazing listeners all the time hear me saying, inside the box, and things like that. So anyway, tonight we won't do it, we're just going to keep talking about it, but how we do it, Mike, or the idea of the show, is uh, to give the same uh, feeling and very similar sensation as if you were watching uh, a video on YouTube, right? Like on uh-huh. the news on YouTube, you know, they have the unboxing and then they show you how to play and things like that. Right. So the idea of the podcast is for uh, the amazing listeners to have the same feeling, but with the audio, of course. In that way, if you're in the subway in New York or in Europe or in Mexico, like where I came from, or if you are driving to your work, or if it's in the middle of the night and you don't want to wake up the kids and you just have your headphones and you don't want to turn any device on, well, in that way you can listen to the show and you can enjoy, have the same feeling of the idea as if you were watching a YouTube uh, video. Uh, so anyway, we're going to jump into Maximum Apocalypse. And like on the first section of the, of the show, we talk about the box and cover. Let me tell you this. I really appreciate, Mike, uh, and probably you can talk us a little bit about the manufacturing part. But I really appreciate the size of the box. And we're talking about the base uh, game of Maximum Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like um, probably it, it seems it gives me the idea to me that it's the same size of a box. Like if it was a music instrument, like a small flute or something, uh, just to to give you an idea. And, yeah, um, like, like a narrow, narrow shoe box I've heard before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like a narrow shoe box. And then you, it has a very cool design on the front. And just in the middle of the front, it says Maximum Apocalypse, the logotype. And, it, and then it has like explosion, like an atomic explosion there. And then uh, if you see it on the left, there's like like the fireman with a flashlight and the axe. You can see it there. And you can see another guy, like a post-apocalyptic, you know, like a soldier also with uh, the mask for the radiation and all this stuff. And then it has a Rogue Manor Gaze logo and has your name, you know, as a design. And um, then I usually move the box in front of the mic in that uh-huh. way people right. can see that we were opening and it says that play one to six players i did a mistake and i said earlier i believe one to four players this game is one to six players it plays in 40 45 to 90 minutes which i agree with the timeline it could be probably a little bit more in, in our experience if you're playing with four or more players but still it's still in the same range and it's a uh, 13 year old plus uh, the category for this game and then on the back of the box you have uh, a very nice illustration, like zombies uh, coming through a, a like a police door window, and like, it seems like a fight over there in the city. And it says the world is over. We're just trying to survive what's left what's left of it. And then um, again, the Rock Matter Games logo, 2017, and it tells you the same um, a description of the of the game. And then it talks to you about the con- the contents with which talk once we go inside the box. And that it's uh, made in China by Long Pack Games. So besides to what I said, Mr. Mike, what else we have to add uh, talking about the box and cover or your experience with the process of designing and all that stuff? Um, I mean, you covered definitely what was on the box. Um, I mean, from the designing perspective, you know, um, when I did Maximum Apocalypse, um, you know, designing board games was just something I did out of passion and as like a side hustle thing. and uh, Maximum Apocalypse is a lot more successful than I than I could have hoped for. Um, so back back b- before the success happened, 
I was just planning. Uh, I just wanted to get the game in as small a box as possible to save as much as I could on shipping, um, because I never dreamed that the game would like be in stores or, uh-huh. uh, you know, anything like that. I basically was like, I'm making this game. Hopefully, some people on Kickstarter will want it. I'll have to ship it to them. It's pretty heavy with all these pieces in and cards in it. So, you know, the smaller the box, the better as far as like the box I have to buy and the card what yeah. I've got to buy to ship it in and everything like that. Um, and you know, I, I just wanted I, to make it compact. And I mean, I like compact things in general. I don't like having big boxes and space. Space isn't always an issue when you have kids. So um, <laughs> the smaller the smaller something is that you can tuck away to get out of their reaches, the better. Yeah. And actually, that's a very nice thing that I, that I appreciate for the game because you're right. I mean, me personally, well, I don't have any kids, but besides the dogs, of course. But, um, um, you know, when, when you're getting game after game after game and, and because you're in this hobby, it's going to get hard at some point, the storage, too. And the size of the box for Maximum Apocalypse is just great uh, because, like you say, it doesn't occupy too much space and everything fits perfectly. But when it, anyway, we will talk about the inside once we in a little bit once we jump in that section. But uh, but yeah, I really like the the way that you did. Now the illustrations, um, the art of the game. Who did it? It was you um, also. No, no, it was not me. I wish I wish I could draw like that. Um, <laughs> uh, no. Um, so you know, like with all of our projects, um, you know, I usually find uh, people online that I want to work with or whose work I like, and okay. I reach out to them to see if they're interested. And uh, this was just one of those serendipitous meetings online where. You know, I, I sort of posted about the game and the art style I wanted. I sort of described it as like a graphic novel. And, you know, whenever you post a job on any of these concept art forms or anything, you always get a ton of portfolios and emails and stuff okay. sent to you. And uh, Gustav Rangmar is the uh, artist for Maximum Apocalypse. And he was just the person who responded, who whose work I liked the most. And, um, you know, uh, we hit it off. And luckily it's, he, you know, I think we both appreciate how easy it is to work with one another. Um, yeah. And we've just kept working on the game because it's been pretty successful. Yeah, no, I mean, I honestly, yeah, it's a, uh, it's great. The design, like, just, you describe it exactly. Like I was mentioned before, I'm reading uh, right now a comic called Oblivion Song, and it has kind of the same thematic, uh, similar to Maximum Apocalypse. Uh, but the, I mean, the graphic and the art is very similar, which I really like. And and when I share it with friends, this game, they really like the art too. It was one of the first things that that came that came out from the game. But anyway, now that we saw and we talk about the box, let's go and see what it's inside the box. And like, and they always on the show, I said I put this uh, voice of, of of me saying inside the box. So now we are inside the box. So anyway, as soon as you open the game, Mike, it has a very nice. And very, uh, I won't say small, very nice and very uh, self-explanatory rule book. It's um, 27 pages uh, rule book. And it basically tells you all about the game, all the things that you will need to, to know in order to play. And also the solo variant. So inside the box, let me let me go through you to the what you're going to get inside. You're going to get 394 cards, 6 characters, a standee, uh, 38 map tiles, 12 card dividers, 2 main dice. Uh, six hunger dies, um, and then 42 armor tokens, 30 monster tokens, 60 hit point tokens, 17 poison tokens, three objective tokens, and uh, one scavenge board. So you get a lot in this small box, Mike. You get a lot, and you're right when you were talking about the probably one of the main issues could be the shipping. Yeah, I mean shipping is based on weight, so it's not like it it helped me that much thing in a small box, but uh-huh. 
at least for like the materials you have to buy and the way you have to box things up. It's a, it's a, you know, it's, I thought it would be easier. Um, yeah. And one thing that I really like that I, I usually mention on the episodes is I really like when the games come with uh, wooden tokens. And in this case, uh, I don't know, do all versions of the of the base game come with wooden token or do you want all the Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, all the that's something we upgraded um, in the core set. I mean, I'd like to take credit for it, but I mean, it was just through the success of the Kickstarter that uh, we were able to upgrade to wooden tokens. Um, yeah. And now that's sort of the standard that we're trying to keep keep things at. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, all the tokens are wooden and like laser engraved with the symbols and stuff on them, which which are pretty nice. You know, I was yeah, definitely happy with them. Yeah, they are pretty nice. Actually, that's one of the things I really appreciate when a game uh it comes with wooden token i mean some games you know they came with cardboard and i honestly i'm not a huge fan of it but i get it also like you know it helps the purpose and uh you know and uh for shipping and manufacturing all this stuff but this game yeah i like that it came with the wooden token and all the cards now um can you talk uh talk to us a little bit more about all the components of the game like the cards like it was your idea always to make the design like this like with cards and small tiles cardboard tiles just to be uh, yeah. The map, well, or? yeah. I mean, when I was prototyping the game, the uh, cardboard tiles that you set up the map with were just like square cards. So we made them a little bit beefier so they wouldn't shift around as much when you're like moving things on the board. Um, but um, I mean, as far as designing the box goes, you know, we talked earlier about how you know I used to play Magic the Gathering. And when we would get together and have these Magic the Gathering nights, we'd play Magic the Gathering with my friends. Um, you know, some of us had those big, long, like, cardboard, um, like, baseball collector boxes or, you know, magic game, card game yeah. boxes where you could put all the cards in, you know, in, like, a row. Um, so that's sort of how I came up with the width of the box because I knew that I wanted to have uh, the cards be, be able to be easily sorted um, for each character class um, in the box so you could see it. So. Yeah. Um, that's why the box is as wide as it is, and that's why we have the dividers and all the cards for that piece of it. And then the question was, all the other stuff we had, could we make like punch boards and could the tokens and everything fit uh, in the sort of remaining space in the box? Yeah. Um, and uh, we were able to work it out. So that's 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 how we came up with it. Yeah, and honestly, like I, I will be totally honest with you, I haven't even finished playing all the scenarios that it's on the on the base game. So uh, with that being said, I'm trying to make my own rule to uh, to go not too crazy and getting game basically every day, getting a new game every day because that's what I'm doing. Like going every day, like almost every day, I go to the comic store and to the gaming store and try to pick something new. So what I'm doing to control myself lately is okay. I'm not gonna buy an expansion for the game unless I actually play all the scenarios of gotcha. the game. So uh, uh, the the question is like in this uh, I know we will talk about the Kickstarter and the legendary box and all this stuff, but uh, even if if you get the two or three expansions that are out there for the game, will you be able to fit everything on this um, box, or it will it will it will be hard? Oh, the new box or the existing box? No, no, this this base one, the the, the shoe box, let's call it. Oh, no, no. The shoebox, uh, I mean, you can fit, I, I think you could fit like some of the two, the two smaller expansions in there. Um, there are some people that have said they could fit, uh, they, that they fit Gothic Horrors in there. Um, 
I don't know how they did it. I wasn't able to do it when I was sort of playing with it. Um, <laughs> I could fit, you can fit all the cards of everything yeah. that's been released so far in the core game. That was core funny. Box. I don't know. I don't know how they did it, but you weren't you you weren't able. Yeah, I wasn't able to do it. So okay. I mean, I could definitely fit all the cards uh, that have been released so far in one. Like the way I have my demo set up right now, because you know the legendary box is is still being worked on and hasn't even gone to the manufacturer yet. You know, Kickstarter just ended. Yeah. Is um, the way I run my demos is I've got all the cards and characters and like monster cards and decks, everything sorted in one box. You know, let's call it, let's say it's the core box, but it could be either one. And then I've got all my um, components, you know, all my map tiles, all my uh, monster tokens, my wooden bits, my ammo tokens uh, in, in the other box, um, which is, you know, sort of empty. Um, there's plenty of room in the other box. But that's sort of how I carry it around. Um, okay. when I'm when I'm demoing it because you know I get bored playing I mean the core game took me two years to develop and then you know obviously I demoed it <laughs> when it came out and I've demoed it I've continued to demo it with expansions and stuff so yeah. the core game that you have uh, you know uh, I've played all those characters in those scenarios a lot of times and the newer stuff the newer expansions and the newer characters are the ones uh, when I'm demoing a game that I like to pull out and play because it's okay. it's, it's it's fresher for me, you know, it's newer for me. Yeah. No, um, don't get me wrong. I will I will get those and and like I, like, yeah. I, like when I met you, uh, you know, for the Kickstarter, that that's the whole idea. It's just like right now I'm having I get what you're saying, but I'm having a blast every time that I play the the uh, the oh, course. Yeah, yeah. And I, mean, I listen, still haven't finished it. And that that's a yeah. good thing, you know, because we're talking about hundreds. Games, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of plays, you know. So. Yeah. It's, exactly. It certainly took, and it's not like I'm sick of it. Like every once in a while, I'll go back and I'll play a character I haven't played in a while, and I'm like, oh yeah, this character's cool, <laughs> you know, this survivor's cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, you know, like my favorite character right now is the Ronin from the new set, um, just okay. because she's one of the more difficult characters to play, and I think that's cool. Um, you know, so I just tend to like the newer stuff because I've played it less. Yeah, um, no, it's actually, not necessarily that, it's not necessarily that it's better, you know, necessarily. Yeah. Which is no, better I, for me because it's newer, you know. And and I'm looking forward to Trails expansion. Actually, my favorite character now that we mentioned, and we're gonna jump in a little bit to, to how the game plays. Uh, probably I would put on my first place the veteran and the dog. Oh, and okay. Then, we'll, then then will be the fireman. Also, the fireman is very powerful for. Yeah, for he's got a lot of. He certainly he's a big tank. He can certainly soak up a lot of damage. Yeah. Sure. So anyway, before before we keep talking uh, about you know the gameplay, now let's go into the actual section of the of the show, the gameplay. Before we, before uh, you talk us, I guess in a, in, a, in not briefly but very basically how the game works, I would like to ask you why Maximum Apocalypse? Why the theme? Like, did, did you uh, did you ever uh, had other when you were this, doing the prototypes? Did you ever had probably another ideas of a theme or or something else? No, I mean, uh, I would say the theme was one of the. I mean, I had ideas for the mechanics, but the mechanics and theme are pretty strongly tied together. Uh, they definitely came together. You know, I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, the apocalyptic genre in, ge in general. You know, you, I love Walking Dead. I like, um, you know, like everything from, you know, the Mad Book of Eli. Mad Max and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, Mad Max, like the Book of Eli, like all those just movies, films, yeah. and television stuff. I've always liked um, post-apocalyptic films and video games. I mean, The Last of Us. You oh know, my god! Yeah, that's, that's I mean, that's like a masterpiece. That's like a masterpiece. Like, yeah, yeah. As I far love as like, I love. Um, 
I can wait for the for the second part actually. It's gonna yeah. Be so soon. so um. I'm a huge fan of that like genre. I'm like I, I consume uh, a lot of movies and television and comic books in that genre. So it just okay. felt like there were so many ideas there that I could explore. Um, with, with, with there, there seemed like there were so many ideas there. Yeah. And then as I worked on the game and burned it to the ground and started over again and over again, I, I spent so much time making sure that core system was so solid because I had all these ideas and genres and sort of like post-apocalyptic ideas that surrounded it. I wanted to make sure that if the game was successful, it was something I could like live in and, and you could really see the difference. You know, when you, I, I, I take pride in the fact that, and, and hopefully you'll agree with me, I'm not sure how, how many scenarios you've been in, but a lot of people have told me that when you play as a different character, it truly feels different. You know, it truly feels oh, different. Yeah. And, when you, and when you play a different apocalypse and the types of threats that those different apocalypses focus on that it, the game feels very different and that was very important to me um, because when you watch an alien invasion post-apocalyptic show it, it feel you know while while some of the themes are the same um the, the the feeling of the the obstacles that the characters are facing are very different right so yeah. usually the human characters are relatively similar in post-apocalyptic movies but the obstacles they're facing are very different you know zombies actually, are very different than technologically advanced aliens which are very actually, different than like robots, etc. One of the one of the most clever things that I really appreciate from from your game is exactly what you're saying. First, the replayability. Like for me as a as a gamer, um, more than the podcaster that I try to be. Uh, for me as a gamer, uh, it's very important when I get a game that I, I I look I have certain filters on my own when I'm gonna get a game or when I'm gonna try a game. And one of the the big filters is that I if it can if it's if the game is able to play it solo, which in this case yes you're able to play it solo. Second uh, filter is it needs to be challenging and better. I prefer in games that my character can die. And when I say die, I like games that you know your character dies and you just go back to the beginning. I mean just like in real life type situation. Of course you don't go back in the beginning right. in real life, but you know like basically that's that's my other filter. And another big one is the replayability. Like I mentioned that your game has it. So uh, the other thing that I was going to mention is that I really like the way that you um, put literally all the possible apocalypses or the most of the most famous possible apocalypse on this game. Now, like it's not a game that is particular. Okay, well, now we have another zombie games or now we have another monster games. No, you just put everything there. You put alien, you put, you put robots, you put zombies, you put monsters. And then with the expansions, you get dinosaurs and you get huge insects and things like that. So that's that's great. You know, that's very clever. Yeah, I mean... You cover everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the zombie thing was, you know, sort of like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, I, I sort of, while I was working on the game, you know, the zombie genre was taking off. But it was like one of those things where I was damned if I did, damned if I didn't. Like, if I didn't include zombies, everyone would be like, how can you have a post-apocalyptic game with all these genres and not have zombies? And then... Yeah. You know, you do put it in there, and a lot of people are like, "Oh, it's another zombie game." Whereas zombies is just like one small piece of what the game is about. Yeah, it's not a zombie game at all. It's yeah. not a zombie game at all. I can tell you from a gamer perspective, it's not a zombie game at all. It's it's a, literally it's not a apocalyptic game. You can encounter anything that you want, and it's a very good game. So now, Mike, let's jump into the gameplay, and please uh, just explain us how the gameplay is like basically. Sure, I'll give you the quickest rundown I can. Um, you know, a quick overview of the game is obviously it's a 
survival adventure game uh, for one to six players, um, where each player chooses a survivor sort of class of character with their own unique deck and skills. And it was inspired by a lot of um, the roguelike and procedurally generated uh, video games that are out there, especially in the indie scene, where even if you play the same scenario in Maximum Apocalypse and the same mission, uh, because the map is sort of randomly and procedurally generated by the players uh, in any configuration they want, the game can feel very different. You, know, you can play the same mission three or four times or a few hundred times like I have in some cases, and it still feels differently with just the way um, you know, tiles are flipped and tiles are located and the way the map is built itself. Um, so the way the game works is uh, once, you've, once you've sort of set up this map, um, you typically start on the van or, or uh, a specified location in the mission. And you know, the most common goal or the, or the, or the mission we give people in, in our demo is to just get, get some gas, get to the van, and escape. That's all you need to do. I think that's what the tutorial is too. Um, yeah. So um, you, know, you start on a location, and you, have, you, have, you sort of know where the tiles are that you can move to but you don't know what's actually there unless you move there or scout. Um, so, um, you know, there's a lot of tile flipping and tile exploration in the game. But the sequence of the turn goes, uh, it starts off by you spawn monsters because things can always get worse. So you roll dice, or if you have the newer Gothic Horrors expansion, there's a bag that you manipulate, and you, you, you spawn monsters based on every tile has a number on it. So as you reveal tiles and as you make progress in the game, it actually gets more difficult um, and more monsters will appear because you've been sniffing around and they've sort of detected you. Yeah. Um, so you, the first step is you roll these dice to spawn monsters. Things get worse. Monsters can pop on you or appear uh, in your path and interfere with where you're going. Um, I want to make you... a comment right here because, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what is the, the magic of the game or something. But, oh, my God. You're so right. What you say, like every time, let's say I'm, I'm kind of in a... Even if I'm not like center, centrally located on the map, let's say I'm in, I'm in a corner or something, and I know I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to go east right now. Instead of going south, I will go uh, east, um, you know. And I roll the die of the, of the, on the, on the spawning monster step, and oh my god, it seems like I do it on purpose. Like every time I roll the number that I don't want, and I'm trapped. And it's a very nice mechanic because it, make, it makes the game very difficult for you to get through the, the different areas. Yeah, yeah, and obviously different apocalypses and decks are sort of different difficulties as well but yeah. uh but uh yeah so once you spawn monsters you draw you draw a card and then you have a hand of cards that you play um and you take four actions so um it's very flexible every card you play is an action you can equip weapons and guns and axes or you can play sort of instant cards which are sort of powerful multi-action cards you can obviously move tiles when you move into a tile you flip it over and reveal it and deal with any bad thing that happens or sometimes good things. And uh, you make your way trying to spend these actions as optimally as possible to uh, complete the mission. Um, and then at the end of your turn, any monsters that are attached to you and are following you around will attack you and deal damage to you. Uh, you get hungry. Um, uh, so every at the end of your turn, your hunger always increases and you can, you can enter a starvation state uh, if you take too long in the game. Um, but I mean, that's that's sort of a brief overview of, of the core mechanics of the game. Yeah, and actually, well, that the when you mentioned about the four main actions of the game, like you said, like it's either you move. I have the rule here, the turn reference. Uh, either you move one space, you draw a card, you play a card, you take a card as an action, like you mentioned, 
or you can scavenge when it's where you can get research right, right. On, on the color on the tile that you are um those actions you can do it multiple times right like they're yeah. not specifically for just once per run right correct uh, right so yeah. you could spend you could spend your turn moving four times if you need to make a run to the van you know yeah um uh yeah, you, I mean, obviously, if you get in a fight, a lot of times you'll be using, uh, you know, if you're the fireman, you're going to be using uh, your your axe, which you'll have equipped, which says on an action, like, deal four damage. And you'll be swinging that axe three or four times to deal a ton of damage to things uh, yeah. if you're surrounded by zombies or something. So, yeah, you can do uh, any actions however many times you want. Uh, there's a couple limitations, but I'll leave that to people who read the rules. Um, and yeah. there's free actions you can take, too. Um, yeah, actually, those we can only... mention those free actions yeah. once per turn. Is you can discard two cards to draw a card. You can try to scavenge cards with another player, or fill up the band like for if that's your mission, right? Yeah, or deliver any objective cards to an objective. Oh, that's true. Free action as well. I mean, yeah, most but... of the time it's the van, so the shorthand on the reference card says fuel up the van, but in the rule yeah. book it explains like any objective delivery. Exactly. Uh, it's free. And I don't want to spoil too much for people that hasn't played the game, but like you're right, there's a, I don't remember exactly which mission, but there's a mission with the scientist that you need to yep. take the scientist uh, to some locations, and yeah. that's, that's a free action thing that you can do. Another very clever uh, thing that I really enjoy, I guess mechanically speaking from the game, is that like Mike was saying, you know, you have the tiles that you will set up, and it will, they will be randomized and they will be different uh, every game, so you can play the same mission over and over. You will be instructed by the scenario that you're playing which um which tiles you're gonna randomize uh, randomize i'm sorry from the game but also each each tile has or the majority of the tiles they have like a color either red uh blue or green and that's the color type that you can scavenge you can scavenge for a uh, feud fail ammo gear and also certain uh things like newspaper and stuff like that that they will help you to to, to fulfill your mission so that's a very nice uh, thing that i like that every tile has a different and a unique scavenge and not only that, you know, like if you were to do it like a main deck and just scavenge and just grab from the main deck, whatever. Now, um, wh- what do you think, how do you think it would be different? Like if you do it like just one deck versus the three colors deck like you have? Well, you know, um, the scavenge deck is sort of the one design thing that, you know, it's the one pain in the ass thing to set up in my opinion. <laughs> so having played this game a bunch of times. I need to um, agree with you. Yeah, it's, 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 it's hard. It's challenging. Um. And, you know, the reason it's set up the way it is, is, you know, ultimately I felt the flavor of being more likely to find food at, at, um, you know, at a farm was yeah. worth, was sort of worth the headache of setting up the cards that way. Um, but, uh, that the scavenge stuff is something that changed a lot, um, throughout the iterations of the game. There was one point where, um, the, the scavenge decks were divided by like red, green, blue, uh, red, and there were different dice uh, based on where you were located that you would roll that would have like, you know, like the red dice had like three red on it and like a green and a blue and then one like empty handed. Yeah. And you would roll the dice and, you know, you basically have a 50 ch- 50% chance of drawing what the, the actual thing of the tile you were on. But while I play tested that, um, it made setting up the scavenge decks easier, but the problem it made was when you, if you know, you have these people that are just bad at dice rolling. When you have just a d6, and one sixth of the time you're getting nothing for that action, felt really bad, right? When you're rolling dice and you get two or three in a row, where you're spending two or three of your actions and you're getting empty-handed on the yeah. dice, 
uh, you're basically just wasting actions to draw nothing. Felt bad. Um, uh, so, you know, it's something that evolved, and um, I did my best to mitigate the 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 annoyance of separating those decks. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but if you play, like, you know, it sounds like you are playing sort of through through each scenario and apocalyptic scenarios sort of in sequence. Yeah. And if you do that, if you're playing the zombie apocalypse and you're playing those four missions, you like there's no changes between the um, the scavenge decks. Like the scavenge decks are standardized. Um, oh, so they're the, so they're the same for every for yeah. Every so if you re, so if you if, damn not, it, I should not, I not for everyone. Like if you switch from if you switch from zombie to like if you're in the nuclear apocalypse and you switch yeah. to like the alien apocalypse, you're gonna have to redo yeah, the scavenge yeah, decks. Yeah. Um, but if you if you play the first mission of the the nuclear apocalypse and you play those missions in a row, your scavenge decks will not change and your tiles, your map tiles will stay the same, new, only new tiles will be added. So like if you start with 18 tiles in the first mission and there's 20 tiles in the second mission, but there's only two new tiles. The 18 from the first mission are still the same. So you can actually like build and it's, it's not as bad as, it's only bad if you keep sw- switching around apocalypses. Uh, you have oh, to okay. do the reset from, from the beginning. I should and, have done that. <laughs> and, 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 we've been, and we've improved that in, in the future expansions. Like the future expansions 100% obey that rule. And in most cases, I think I've even locked the tile count. So you just yeah. know once you separate these tiles out, you can play like all the dinosaur missions back to back. Now it will save a lot of time on the setup. Not that yeah. the setup takes a lot of time, but it will make it simpler, I guess. And it, is, to... it, is the one, it is the one annoying thing. And, and the thing about it is, you know, when I, when I set up the game, and, and if you played the game enough, the, the important thing about the scavenge decks isn't that you have exactly all of those cards in there. Yeah. It's that it's that you in the in the food pile you have food at a three to one ratio of anything else. That's like the important thing. And that you have any scavenge cards that you need to complete the mission. You know, if you have a mission where you need like newspaper and or a book, you need to make sure that those newspapers and books are in the scavenge deck somewhere. But yeah. if you obey you know, through blind, I used to have it that you would set up the, the Max Apocalypse decks by literally dealing three food cards to the food pile and then one food card to each thing. But in blind playtesting, uh, the way I had had it worded, I, I tried to reword it a bunch of times, but people just weren't people weren't getting like the system of how to build them. So just the easiest foolproof way to do it was to just list the, the way the decks were supposed to be built. Yeah. No, I mean now, now, now that I know that, yeah, for sure, I will, I will take your, your teaching right now, and I will, I will do it for. Yeah, but I mean, if if you're playing a mission, as long as you have, as long as you get out like whatever things you need to beat the mission, you yeah. can deal out three fuel, three red cards, you know, fuel or medical supplies or antidotes to the red pile, and then yeah. one, one red card in each of the other car, into the other piles, uh, and just do that through to one ratio and, and the game's going to play approximately the same way. That's how it was designed to be played. It's uh, it's not and I think it's I not think it's not super rigid. It's not it's not super rigid like oh, you must have exactly these cards in the deck. That was just the easiest way to get people playing it uh, without making mistakes. Okay. All right. So, um now that we that we talk about the, how the game plays like like you said it's very simple. This is a game that um, you can uh, show to anybody, gamer or not gamer. After we and every show after we talk about the gameplay, then we go into the section 
which I always say, like, this is my favorite section of the show, and is that if we rather play this game solo or, co or cooperative. So let's jump there, and then after there, we're going to to talk about a little bit about your other projects, and also about the late pledge uh, for Maximum Apocalypse. Anyway, uh, for this game, uh, let me tell you, Mike, that I have tried uh, cooperative, and I have tried solo multiple times, mm -hmm. and I feel like I will just slightly, slightly, like, to be honest... I prefer this game solo, but probably it is because it gives me the opportunity and also because, you know, sometimes with war, kids, school, it's hard to get all together, like, uh -huh. uh, very often. So For that's sure. just taking that in consideration, I would say that this game, I enjoy it a little bit more as a solo because I'm able to follow the scenarios and kind of do... Uh, like a self-campaign-ish, which is something good that we, I won't spoil yet, but it's something that we're going to talk a little bit uh, once we talk about the Kickstarter and later pledge. Uh, but I do my own campaign-ish kind of story following the characters. So that's probably why I enjoy this game better as a solo. And uh, you, listener, uh, if you are wondering if this is a game, if you're a solo gamer, specifically solo gamer, and you don't know, like, you know, I don't know if you get it or not, definitely. This is a must- have for solo gamers and of course i probably it's a tough question for you mike but um do you do you have any modality on the game that you actually prefer a little bit not not saying that the other modality doesn't work or is bad because it's not at all co co cooperative is gonna be super fun but do you have any per, uh, uh, favorite modality for this game sure yeah i mean i mean listen i am not a solo gamer in general Um, okay. Something that's new, that's new to me. Um, I've I've gotten into it. I'm actually I've actually backed a couple of Kickstarters because people have said it's really good solo. And yeah. uh, there's some games that my wife just doesn't like that have decent solo things. Like I I've been playing Ion Zen Legacy, which I really like solo. Oh yeah. Um. So so um. It's something like because I made this game. Uh. You know, and I did not have solo in mind very much. Um. Uh. It was something that people. You know, like there's so many videos about it and so many people kept saying that they liked it so much solo that it's something that I've wanted to embrace. So um, I've, I've, I've been playing more solo games myself to see how I can improve Maximum Apocalypse to make it better solo. Um, and, uh, you know, so I mean, I would say my preference is cooperative because that's how the game was originally intended. But I would okay. say that um, moving forward, um, you know, Like like you mentioned with this with this with this existing um, Kickstarter, I've been playing so many more solo games that um, it's actually sort of uh, you know influenced me or inspired me to make um, some slight tweaks. I mean, nothing major. Like you said, it the game certainly works solo as is, but yeah. uh, it certainly inspired me to make some changes where I think I can make it. I, I can. I can add to the solo experience and make it a richer experience. So, you know, yeah. one of the things we're working on is, is a new, um, I mean, I, I'll say legacy, but it's really a campaign style mm -hmm. of playing through the game where you can write out the missions you're doing in order. And we're going to have rules that, you know, if you're playing solo and you're playing as like the fireman with the hunter or something and you, and you die and you lose, well, you play that, you replay that mission, but you can't use the fireman and hunter because they're dead. You know, that's and you've how gotta, I do it. <laughs> that's how uh, I do it every time. Yeah, and and uh, when you when you play through this campaign mode, if you play the fireman and you take 30 damage, you've only got a few a little bit of health left when you beat mission five. Well, you're probably going to want to rest him for mission six 
because there's going to be rules where between missions they heal up like eight to ten damage. So they're gonna have like mm-hmm. a cooldown where they're gonna have to we're gonna have to like let them stay back at camp and sort of let them stay in the van while you finish the mission objectives before they come back out. Oh, that's nice. And that way you if you play through the campaign, you will be able to bring other characters and they're just not gonna be sitting. Yeah, it's it's also gonna drive you to play and learn different survivors, you know. There's yeah. some people that just sort of become hyper hyper optimize the game and like are like, this is the best team, like hunter, fireman and gunslinger just like they do so much damage they're the best and uh that's not how the game's meant to be played that's not how i want people to play it i want people to experience all the different survivors and i want people to challenge themselves and if uh the gunslinger has to take a rest and all of a sudden you've got to figure out how to you know blow up some robots with maybe the surgeon who's terrible at dealing damage and you know just a short range character or the mechanic or something i think those are interesting problems to to uh you know, push on players. So yeah, I w- I would say that probably the most now that you mentioned about the characters, um, the most challenging for me so far it has been the surgeon. Like, like I feel like it's easier. Like you said, that the like from the base game, the best team will be in my opinion, fireman and gunslinger, like more powerful. And then you can bring the hunter, and you can bring the better, and they're fine. But I feel like the surgeon is the more challenging because uh, you know I I don't want to say that it's less powerful. It just works different. And that's something good, you know. That now I'm excited. Like, when, like I mentioned before, I didn't want to. When I said like I don't want to spoil, I was. I read through the Kickstarter that it's gonna be a campaign, or it was a stretch goal, a campaign. Yeah. Uh, both, and particularly for the solo uh, variant, I think it will it will uh, bring the game even even better, and it's gonna be more immersive now. That even right now it's immersive. Well, it's gonna be more immersive now with the campaign mode. Right. Um, so anyway. We also we're gonna talk about all that stuff. Don't 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 get me wrong. But um, just to to wrap up the basics from the episode, uh, then also we rate the game. So how we do it is we take the Netflix copyright um, uh, rating system and we do it from zero to five, which zero is something that you know you don't like, you don't want to bring it to the table, never. And a five is something that you extremely loved and you can always 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 be playing all single time. Um, just like in a movie from Netflix, of course. And I will be honest with you, I guess that will be interesting to tell you that my review or my um, rating for this game as a gamer and as, uh, you know, with experience with the podcast, I will give it between 4.67-ish to very close to 5 because it's a game, once again, that a solo. It's very, uh, I will call it friendly and very accessible to bring it to the table and you have a very immersive experience when you play it because the game could go from 40 minutes and that's usually because you're going to die quick or if it takes longer you're going to be immersed but it's probably because you're very close to win the game so what do you think about the rating should i give, should i did i went too low <laughs> uh, no i'll take it i mean you know yeah. everyone's entitled to their opinion i mean obviously i think it's a very good game uh i've uh-huh. probably played it more than anybody uh I'm still not sick about it. Uh, you know, I'm still not sick of it. I'm, ex- you know, I'm, I'm always excited to, uh, I'm always excited for the new stuff I'm working on with it. Certainly, I mean, the system itself, the core game is, uh, you know, I, I love. And, you know, uh, the only stuff, the only stuff I get sick of is sort of the, the stuff that's static or or set in stone now, as far as like characters and everything else go. Because I always want to work on the new stuff, and make, you know, design new characters and survivors and all that kind of stuff. This is a tricky question that I will ask you, and if and if you don't want to answer, that's perfectly fine. But 
let's pretend like you travel to another dimension when you where you are not Mike Ganey, the designer of Maximum Apocalypse, and you just Mike a gamer. Mm-hmm. And somebody brings this game to you and they ask you, hey, you know, can you rate the game zero to five just like I explained to you? What would you give to this game? Well, number one, even though even if my name wasn't on the box, uh-huh. uh you know, the the game is designed exactly to like my needs because I did design it. So, you know, like we were talking about, like I'm a huge fan of the genre, right? So that's it, yeah. like the, 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 and I'm a comic book fan. So like the comic book thing and the, like the presentation and the theme of it. Um, yeah. And, you know, theme, theme for me, like with games, I'll never buy a game just because of theme or I'll never kickstart a game just because of theme, even if I like the theme a lot. Um, okay. Because you know, I think mechanics and how the game actually plays is really important, but yeah. theme is like number two for me, like a game that I, like a basic game mechanic or thing that I like, but then it has a, a theme I love on it. It's like something I get really excited about. Right. So it's like, yeah, of course you know, I love deck. I love deck building. So it's like, if it's, yeah. a, if it's a comic book deck builder or something, it's like, I'm going to get excited for it because it's like two things I really like. Yeah. So maximum apocalypse has a lot of those things. Um, I, I would probably, I mean, for cooperative games, the only cooperative game that I like more than Maximum Apocalypse is probably Pandemic Legacy. Um, okay. And I consider Pandemic like the one of the best cooperative games like that was ever you know that was designed. And Legacy just gave it that awesome, um, you know, gave it that awesome campaign and everything, which Maximum Apocalypse obviously has. So, okay. um, you know, I, I would probably be in your range. I'd probably be like a uh you know at a you know 4.5 or higher 4.8 something like that yeah definitely like it's always easier for me to think of it as like a grade right like <laughs> a to f <laughs> yeah um yeah. uh it's definitely in the a range for me you know it's probably not like an a plus plus um because like i said that scavenge deck does annoy me but it's probably like an a or a minus for sure no i mean i, I think i, I wouldn't put the minus there. and, and I, I honestly like probably the only i will call it downside but it's not really a downside from the scavenges the setup but now that you mentioned it it making it easier i mean this guy i think the scavenge is very clever and i i do like that that mechanic yeah. and it's funny that you mentioned pandemic legacy because we would we will have a, a soon an episode uh all you amazing listeners about the games uh that we like i will be trying to bring other podcasters to, to the show but and designers games that we like and games that we hate and honestly to be honest mike sharing with you and uh, i think i mentioned it before Pandemic Legacy is probably one of my least favorite cooperative games. And I will tell you why. And it's something good for Maximum, I think. Uh, when I always struggle in a cooperative game with the alpha player mechanic, the player that always tells you, okay, you're going to do this and do that, and do, next turn we're going to do this and that. Mm-hmm. So in Pandemic, I feel like, you know, like, like if, if there's an alpha player, the other players they just like literally just moving pawns and that's it. That's how I feel it. That's the impression. That's that true. No, that is that a, is a, that is maximum, a true problem. In maximum, you don't have that. In maximum, it's a cooperative game, but everybody does their own thing. Like nobody, probably somebody can tell you like, hey, you know what? Well, I will go east and I will try to search for this and that. Well, but now that we know that the the blue tile is there, probably you should go there. Whatever they can tell you things like that, but. Or than that, everybody will have their own cards and they will play in the order like whatever they want. And if they want to help you, they will help you. And if they want to save those help cards for later for themselves or the food for themselves, they can do that too. So I think that's a great mechanic that the Maximum Apocalypse doesn't have that problem that a lot of cooperative games has, in my opinion, with the alpha player. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, the alpha player, I sort of look at that as like that's an inherent problem in cooperative games. Um, you know, I mean, listen, an extreme an extreme alpha player could hurt Maximum too. They could start being like, let me see your cards and like I'm going to tell you what cards to play, right? So, I mean, oh, no, but like I would a, tell you, I don't show it to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm saying like then yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, no, I that's, that's just people. That's like a human part you can't control of. So, yeah. I, I mean, you're right though that, that there is no – I, I did purposely give people a hand of cards and different decks of cards to help control the alpha player problem because uh, if if you have someone who's who, who's like that, you can just not show them your hand and then they can't tell you they they can't optimize your turn because they don't have perfect information, right? Whereas in pandemic, you do always have perfect information, uh, you know, if you know yeah, the game well and if you know the yeah. character abilities well. Exactly. Well, anyway, this is Maximum Apocalypse. The base game, the base game. Now, when we started to talk with you, Mike, and everything, uh, we we did a comment and we said that, you know, Rogue Matter Games, it's, you're the publisher and you're the designer. And before we jump into that, recently, Maximum Apocalypse, after the big success for the first time on Kickstarter, he came back for a second round and for even better and did a second, a very successful second round. Uh, on the Kickstarter, we had a legendary box, which... It improves things. Um, it gives storage for the expansions, and it also gives a very, very cool addition to the game that I'm a huge fan. I love miniatures. I basically I love painting miniatures. That's all other hobby that I have. I'm very bad at it, but I love painting them and putting music in the background and then bring it to the table. And now we will have miniatures for the game. So you will be able to replace the standees and bring the miniatures and paint them and all the stuff. Uh, and then there's other, uh, you know, pledges levels that you that you were that you were able to do on Kickstarter, but now you will be able to do as a, as a lead pledge. Can you talk a little bit about more uh, more about that, Mike? Uh, sure. So the legendary box um, is literally um, just just you know addressing what fans kept emailing and asking me in the comments of Kickstarter and. And, uh, you know, on Board Game Geek and everything, it's just something that I kept hearing over and over again this past year uh, once people got the expansion, which is they wanted a box to fit everything in it. Um, we during our Gothic Horrors thing, we showed off we were working on some miniatures for the original six characters. And I think the yeah. original six were done. And we I think we even posted them as a potential stretch goal at one point. And then it immediately became, well, can I get all the all the characters in miniatures and um, instead of trying to say, yes, we'll work on them and like make the game take so that much longer to be made because the sculpts weren't done for all the characters yet. I decided to just sort of nix that stretch goal and, and, and put it on the back burner and, and hold it. So yeah. when, when we kept hearing about, we kept hearing about one of the miniatures coming, one of the miniatures coming and can I have a big box to fit everything? Can I have a big box to fit everything? So yeah. Um, you know, we spent the last year or so sort of putting, cobbling together some of the things we're working at with the, with the series and uh, yeah. did a Kickstarter for it recently, which you can still lay pledge for. Uh, it's also a way, um, one of the pain in the butt things with uh, this past, with the last expansion was people trying to catch up, people who, who weren't around for the first Kickstarter trying to find all the pieces that they missed and all these yeah. different boxes and, and the logistics of shipping you know, two big boxes, you know, a core game, a big box expansion, then two little tuck boxes and the expense of your, your 
fulfillment and warehousing of shipping all those different products and SKUs and packaging them and, and shipping boxes um, uh, is a lot more expensive than when you're just dealing with one, one product. So um, this is also a way to sort of get everything in the game up to this point all in one box so, so people can easily catch up. And mm-hmm. um, that's, that's also important for sort of what we're planning for the next expansion. Uh, it'll be much easier to have this legendary box with everything up to this point. And then the next expansion uh, is going to be standalone. So you're not going to need all the other, you're not going to need to find the core box in the, new, in the expansion you have, like you have in the past. You're able to buy, you're able to buy uh, this new expansion as a standalone game. If you like it, then you can go get the legendary box or you can start buying the expansions piecemeal. Um, and it'll be easier to expand your collection of Max Apocalypse than it has been in the past, in my opinion. Okay. Um, so so that, that was really the goal with this last campaign. Now, like you said, Maximum Apocalypse, you can still, even if the Kickstarter is out, I mean, it's, it's done, I'm sorry, uh, you can still get the, the late pledge to uh, Crabble. Do you, do you have the website there? And that way we can, tell, well, we can give well, it to us? Well, I would tell people to search for Maximum Apocalypse on Kickstarter because it does direct link from there. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, search. I can. I'm sure I could find it. It's just going to be a weird. It's going to be a weird Crowdox. Uh, but you, link, well, you know? they can go like you said. They can go to a Kickstarter and and, and go to RockManorGames.com. Go to RockManorGames.com. We have it there. If you okay. go to RockManorGames, here's here's an easy domain. If you go to RockManorGames.com/slash/kickstart, all of our Kickstarters are listed on that page, and you can click the uh, the top. You know, it's in order. So the most recent past campaign is the legendary boxer maximum. You can click that picture. It'll take yeah. you right to the page and there's a late pledge button right at the top. So that's the easiest way to get there. And you know what? One thing that I really, that I really appreciate also, Mike, is that, you know, now at this, at this time with, uh, you know, we're crowded with, with Kickstarters and new game coming up and, you know, it, it hurt, it hurt our wallets, you know, and a lot of the games, sometimes they're very epic, but they're very pricey too. And you, this game, it's epic. I feel like it's epic in, in the card game and now with miniatures. And it's still like it's not, it's not bad. Or like I, I will, I will mention it. For example, for the lead pledge that you should go right now and do it or register your mail. It's uh, the legendary box in the miniatures. You will get it for thirty-nine dollars, and it's three times bigger uh, than the original box. And you will have the twelve survivor miniatures. And you can see the pictures on Kickstarter of all the miniatures that you have. And also you will have something that I really like when a game. Uh, comes with that uh, the tray the different tray dividers oh yeah the storage yeah mm-hmm. yeah the storage that's great and then you have an RPG quick start also uh, if you're a if you're a great if you're an all playing game uh, fan and then also there's a legendary edition that you can get everything like you mentioned to cut up everything from the game that is not bad at all it's 129 but you will have literally literally everything that there is outside for maximum apocalypse and so you should go right now and you should back. Then we have very nice add-ons also, which I'm assuming they will be on the late pledge too, right? Uh, yeah, they'll be there. Yeah, they'll okay. be there. We have the player mat, uh, which it looks pretty nice. I, I, I will get one of those too. And then is the buck, buck apocalypse. We talked about insects at the beginning. Uh, there's also an expansion, a 40-card apocalypse deck um, for only 10 bucks, which is great. And then it's, it will tell you all the stretch goals that... Uh, the campaign were successful. Um, for example, the solar rules, the PDF, that would be great for solo gamers. And the campaign rules where you were talking about, you know, the new campaign uh, mode that you will be able to 
to play on the game. The other thing that I'm very attracted to is the health dials. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to those. Yeah, and, I re I'm really excited about those too because they're just going to make demoing the game so much easier, like at conventions. <laughs> yeah, so it seems like all the stretch goals, they were they were unlocked, which is, is good. I mean, the, the game did great, and it's because it's a very good game. And also on the... On, the Kickstarter, on that same Kickstarter page, you can see the videos, or you can go to YouTube to the videos, and they have videos from Rogue Banner Games that they're showing you the game. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, um, like I mentioned before, a Maximum Apocalypse is the must, must-have game. Solo, cooperative, you need it. So if you haven't backed it, go to the, the Kickstarter, uh, register for the late pledge, and you won't regret at all. Now... Like Mike mentioned before, you can go to Rock Manor Games, the website, rockmanorgames.com, and you will see over there their games, the upcoming events, the blog about the site and, and the shop where you can actually uh, go and shop some of their stuff, which um, which you can get there, like the things that aren't in stock, of course. And uh, you can find, you can follow also on the social media, uh, Rock Manor Games. Now, talking about other projects, and we talk about, a little bit about this, uh, Mike, before we start to record the show. Um, what is what's next for Rogue Manor Games? Um, well, um, the next game that is coming out from us uh, will come out this summer. It's called Set a Watch. It is a cooperative game. Uh -huh. um, it is excellent solo, if you ask me. Uh, it's okay. a game that I think is just as long as you don't mind controlling extra characters, uh, it is fantastic solo. Um, okay. It is a it's a small box game. It'll retail for thirty bucks. Oh, um, it's, nice. it's, a, it's a lot of game in a in a little box. Just like Maximum, um, it's it's fantasy themed. It's sort of all about uh, it's all about monsters trying to get into your camp at night after you've been D and D adventuring, and you gotta you gotta you gotta take watch and make sure they don't put out your firelight. Um, okay. Um, so set of watch will be coming out this summer. Um, we've got a Kickstarter coming up in another month or so in June uh, for Few and Curse, which I mentioned in the episode. It's it's yeah. a it's a uh, competitive. Yeah, it's a competitive uh, deck building adventure game uh, for one to four players, mm -hmm. um, uh, where, you, where you're playing in that comic book world. Um, it's going to have several different solo options, so it's not going to have like a campaign thing like Maximum, but there's there's definitely going to be a few different ways to play it solo, sort of based around each character, I think. Yeah. Um, and so I, I feel like Rogue Manor now is going to be a house for solo players too, which is great. I hope so. I mean, it's definitely, yeah. like I mentioned, I mean, it's definitely something I appreciate and understand now because of Maximum and its success with Solo. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, this the the next game after, after Few and Curse is over, the next game that I'm designing, um, you know, I've got some other things where people are developed, like I'm helping develop it and co-designing, but the next game that I'm designing myself is uh, is a cooperative game. Um, it is It is the spiritual successor to Maximum Apocalypse. But we're taking things to space, um, and I'm really excited yeah. about it. The other one that I see on the website here, I don't know if it's if it's already outside or it's like a prototype still. But I like the the knife with the blood lawyer. Oh up. yeah, lawyer up. Yeah, that's a game that uh, um, Sam Bailey, who designed uh, Forbidden Stars, which is a pretty well known game uh, okay. for Fantasy Flight. Um, him and I have become friends, going to conventions together, and. Uh, I had the idea for this game, this asymmetrical game. So I'm a huge Netrunner fan, and uh, of, about being lawyers, where the prosecution and defense played differently. So yeah. Lawyer Up, Lawyer Up will definitely be coming out uh, next year, maybe the end of this year, but it's certainly by next year. Um, it's going to be it's going to be a smaller game, and it's sort of a, it's a game I'm a little nervous about because it's strictly two players, but uh, yeah. 
it's a fantastic game. And it's, uh, it's all about, uh, there's different cases you can play and it's all about being the prosecution and defense and, yeah. you know, simulating a court case of uh, trying to win uh, influence over jurors. Um, okay. So that's, that's called lawyer up and that'll be coming as well. Uh, we definitely have a lot of stuff in the pipeline, you know? Um, yeah. You know, uh, this is, this is my full-time thing now or this and this and parenting. Um, mm-hmm. So I took time off to, to stay at home with my second child. And then this, the uh, maximum apocalypse and everything has been so successful that I've just sort of been putting more and more time into it. And next year, uh, my daughter is going to start school, which means it's, I'll be able to put even more time into this to really see if I can make a go of it. So, so like, like you hear guys, like this is a, a, you know, more games to come from Rogue Manor Games. So you should like, once again go to their website, roguemanorgames.com. You should follow us and follow them. I'm sorry, on their social medias, uh, Rogue Manor Games. They are on Facebook and Twitter uh, and Instagram, I believe too, right, Mike? And uh, so in that way, uh, you can you know be up to date with all the news, all the games that are coming, uh, be pending on Kickstarter. Like I said, go to the late pledge for Maximum Apocalypse and be pending next month to to get the the next project from Rock Manor Games because it's a, it's a guarantee of fun every time that you will bring a, a game to the table from Rock Manor Games. Mike, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. I don't know if you want to make add any other comments. Or, no, I think or I think you covered everything. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And um, uh-huh. You know, I hope we can keep in touch and uh, you can let me know if I slip up on any of these solo games in the future. Yeah, sure. Now, uh, I mentioned to follow uh, for, for the people to follow you on the social media. Can you uh, let just at, at Rock Manor Games or how they can look for uh, you? On Twitter, I'm at Mgenade, but we're okay. at Rock Manor Games on um, or at Rock Manor or, or Facebook.com slash Rock Manor Games or whatever on Facebook. Okay. Um, yeah, but I mean, go to go to rockmanorgames.com, sign up for our newsletter. That's like our number one way of letting people know when yeah. new stuff is coming out. Um, and if they have any questions, they can always contact you. I mean, like, yeah, like, absolutely. I can say about my experience. It seems like you're 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 very uh, reachable and very accessible, and you know, you're always uh, friendly to answer any. Well, any, you know, I always tell people that you know, before uh, Rockmanor Games, uh, I had a I had a hosting and IT company uh, that okay. I sold. So. You know, when you have a customer support ticket in the hosting world, uh, every minute matters, and it's it's very stressful. And, and having good customer support is very important. So yeah. I'm used to managing a help desk uh, where when a support ticket comes in or a problem comes in, you've got to answer it, you know, within the hour. And yeah. uh, it's actually relaxing to me for the board game world, just answering stuff within 24 hours That's good. or a day or two, because there's no rush usually. Like people don't care if they've got a missing part as long as you send it to them in, in a couple of days and they get it in a week or something. And, you know, it's no big deal. So, so th- there you go. You, you're a, a 24 seven FAQ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's good. Uh, so anyway, uh, Mike, where are you going to be uh, before we say goodbye? You're going to be in any of the next uh, events. Yeah. To come, like uh, so I'll definitely be in Gen Con. Uh, we'll oh, that's be at good. Origins. Um, we'll have a yeah. booth at Gen Con. Um, at Origins, we're just running a bunch of events. So okay. all the games we, we mentioned that were, that are sort of in process or coming out. Um, will are all available uh, via the event sign up page on origins so hopefully if you're interested in them or attending you can sign up for them okay um, play some of our new games let us know what you think and then at gen con we'll be selling set of watch for sure uh, we'll definitely right, have any good. time for that that's good well and in gen con we will be in gen con too like walking around and you know if you are in gen con and you want to say hi you 
will uh, see me and see uh, the people that sometimes interact with the show with their uh, solo BG podcast shirt. So if you see us, just give us hi. And Mike, I will for sure, uh, you know, visit at your booth on Gen Con and probably we can record something or we can at least roll some dice over there. Or, or sure, yeah, there. sounds great. Yeah, great. Yeah. So anyway, this was another episode of Solo BG Podcast. Once again, thank you, Mike. We talk about Maximum Apocalypse. We talk about the game from Rogue Matter Games. And, you know, thank you so much for uh, keep listening to the show, to being supportive. Uh, remember that you can listen uh, to this show through iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Board Game Geek website. And now we start with the YouTube channel, too, when we're basically doing unboxings. And we're looking forward to do tutorials, too, but in a different way. And, you know, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at solo bg podcast or any concerns you can send us to our email at solo bg podcast at gmail.com please review the podcast um, write a comment over there in itunes that's very important it helps us to keep the show and like always remember for victory go tell your friends till next time see you through the speaker and at the tabletop